Today, my guest is Alex Stack. Those of you in California may have gotten emails from her regarding the Cal Hospital Compare Opioid Care Honor Roll Program. That's what we're going to talk about today. Those of you outside of California, I'm hoping that you can take away some good information that maybe can be put to use in your states as well. So welcome, Alex. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to interview me today. Definitely. Can you give us some background on what the opioid honor roll is and how it got started? Yes. So the opioid care honor roll is managed by an organization called Cal Hospital Compare. And in 2018, California Healthcare Foundation, which is the big funder within California and the Public Health Institute, were doing quite a bit of work on providing seed funding to hospitals and other organizations to do two things in order to tackle the opioid epidemic in our state. One was to provide seed funding to hospitals to jumpstart what they call the medication-assisted treatment program. And this allows providers to initiate treatment for opioid use disorder while that patient is still in the hospital. And there's tremendous research that shows just how impactful that it can be. I think up to 70% of patients who initiate treatment while still in the hospital still maintain in treatment for the next year. So that's what we're talking about, this critical moment. The other piece of the funding was going towards supporting locals, communities in creating an opioid coalition. So now we're talking about the community-wide impact of bringing stakeholders together, such as hospitals, food banks, homeless shelters, rehab centers, you name it, to come together and say, how can we work holistically to tackle the opioid epidemic in our, in our community? So we were looking for a way, all of these partners were looking for a way to sort of recognize hospitals for their contribution, encourage them to accelerate whatever it is that they're doing to tackle the opioid epidemic, and celebrate these successes and also inspire those who might not have been participating in these programs, medication-assisted treatment and opioid coalitions to, to try it out. And so that was really the origin story, if you will, for the Opioid Care Honor Roll Program. It's really a place to celebrate uh, progress and provide some quality improvement resources as well, such as our opioid resource library and our learning webinar series. That's great. Yeah. Sometimes that's what people need is the push or the recognize that other people are doing it. The resources are there and then give them a little push because everybody wants to be on an honor roll. Right. right. And it's yes. a great little carrot. I mean, I think it's one of those uh, tools that has been super successful in engaging what we call multiple stakeholders across the hospital mm -hmm. in this effort. So it's not just the ED working on MAT. It's not just the surgery department working on what we call an ERAS program, enhanced recovery after surgery. It's not the inpatient unit thinking about um, how they can offer alternatives to opioids uh, for pain management. They're now not working in silos so much, but coming mm -hmm. together, having conversations, and in doing so, they learn from each other, they can leverage each other, and I think it's a great way for organizations to make opioid stewardship a strategic priority and allocate resources to do things like modify their electronic health records to standardize opioid prescribing mm -hmm. at the point of discharge, for one example. It's incredible what you can achieve by changing the default pill count 
from 30 to 10. Whoa, mm -hmm. amazing. Overnight, you can see some changes by just hardwiring something. So uh, someone's got to click a button to change it from 10 to whatever it may be, higher or lower. Right, absolutely. All of those things that you mentioned are things that I have worked in institutions where we're tackling individually on individual things. And, and you're right, that key in the ED, those, those prescriptions or even discharge from inpatient, you just, you make it an IT fix, right? That's like the number one way to do it. And it's just done and they don't think about it. So those are all, all great ideas. What percentage would you say of the hospitals in California participate in this program? So we are now in our third year of the program since we started in, in 2019. And um, I suspect we're in about half of our adult acute care hospitals participating in this program, which is huge. And we've seen growth year over year. And I am just so pleased with our hospitals. We're still willing to take a moment to complete and submit um, the application that's required to be considered for the honor roll. That's actually an active step. A lot of the other things that we do takes information from public reporting databases, but this isn't one of those things. So you've got to go in, sit with your team, complete what we call the opioid management hospital self-assessment with take some time. It can take a couple of hours or more. And so this active step um, is really required. And so um, while half of our hospitals doesn't seem like a lot, it's, it's really incredible, again, to see this growth year over year. And I suspect that we tend to attract those hospitals who are further along in their journey. They're like, okay, I think I can make the honor roll. I'm going to apply. And those who don't think that they can make the honor roll, I think are like, well, gosh, if we can't do it, then, then why go for it? But what we're really trying to message this year is even if you think you're going to get zero points, why? Because just by taking the time to sit mm -hmm. with your team, have a conversation, taking the time to submit the application, really demonstrates your commitment to your community that you're thinking about this. And just by thinking about it, it's, a, it's really a great avenue to start the conversation around change. Well, it probably serves, I would imagine, the assessment. I have not seen one or done one, but it probably serves as kind of their own gap analysis, too, things to think about, like, oh, we didn't think about doing that, or, oh, we could do that thing. You know, that wouldn't take too long. Um, so, yeah. No, you've completely hit the nail on the head. It's both a measurement tool and a quality improvement tool. It's a roadmap for change. Right. Yeah. Now, how do you find the people? I know that when I've held management positions in a hospital in California, I would get your emails. How do you get access to your people? I mean, who gets your emails? Where do you get that from? So I will admit we have a bit of a homegrown email distribution kind of thing happening here. And so over the years, people have simply just emailed myself to be added to the email distribution list. Um, so if that is you, whether you're in California or not, and you want to see these resources, just email me and we'll include you on those future communications. Now, we also partner with our other partners, if you will, California Bridge and California Healthcare Foundation to also disseminate a lot of this information that we're sharing. So we try to get 
the information about our upcoming webinars, any resources that are added to our resource library, or the application period for an upcoming honor roll season, if you will, and through multiple different channels. But I have no doubt that we're missing a few people. And if that's you, just contact me and we'll get you, we'll get you added to this list. Okay, excellent. All right. And and that's great that you offer it to people outside of California if they want to see, as we were talking about, they can't participate, but they can certainly use your tool as an assessment and quality assurance measure. So that's a great idea. That's that's great. Okay. And and I'll be sure to to put your email information with with the um the interview. Now you had mentioned the being part of the season and your emails do say, I think you're in the countdown right now, only, I don't know what the last one said, this much time to, to do it. Can people jump in in the middle or is this a you start, it's a season and you have to stick with that? How does that work? Now that's a great question. So right now we are in the application window for the 2021 opioid care honor roll. We got thrown off a little bit um, in our timing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Ooh, you know, shocking, right? But we wanted to give our hospitals a little bit more time to recover yeah. from some of the surges that obviously impacted staffing and just the bandwidth to think about quality improvements. We were really, we were really sensitive to that. So therefore, if you are interested in applying for this year's opioid care honor roll, meaning the 2021 honor roll, yeah, the, the dates are a little confusing. You have until, until March 31st of this year to do that. So don't hesitate. And even if, like I said, if you don't think you're, you're going to get any points, still do it. Please still do it because we have different tiers of recognition. And one of those is the most improved category. So um, you may just fall in there in the following year. Yeah. Um, but it, like uh, going back to your initial question, this is an annual process. So going forward, you you miss this window. You can certainly apply in the next window, which will be of January, March of next year. Now, like I said before, you can jump into our email distribution list. You can look at our resource library, which has all of our webinars that we've produced to date and some really great resources for hospitals from such things as the, what does an opioid stewardship charter look like? What are some examples some, of some patient-facing materials? Or how have hospitals modified or created um, opioid discharge prescribing guidelines? And all of these resources, which I really enjoy, have been created by hospitals in our program. So they aren't just templates, if you will, they're actual examples of what other hospitals have done to, to tackle some of this work. Okay, great. So start doing something at any time. And then yeah, in exactly. January, for everyone. Yeah, in January, typically, then you have the opportunity to fill out the assessments and shine and go for that honor roll. Good. It'll be interesting to see if you have less people this year, just because people's attention has been so divided either they don't have time to fill it out but you're you know you've waited until march you're right the surge has kind of decreased a bit or if they just feel they're so behind the eight ball that they didn't really do any new implementation so it'd be kind of interesting to see your data for 21. i i absolutely concur and um we definitely saw that in the prior application cycle mm -hmm. we saw a number of hospitals 
um, who just weren't able to apply. And I remember reaching out to them. I said, I know you applied last year and I know you're doing some great work. What happened? And they said, oh my God, Alex, this was just not the year to be. I don't have two hours to fill out the forms. <laughs> yeah, no. And a lot of the folks who are participating in the program are maybe their uh, emergency department clinical director, pharmacists, quality improvement personnel. So these folks are boots on the ground. And so sometimes you got to put your boots on the ground to, to patient care. And I absolutely get that. But I will say I've just been pleasantly surprised with the amount of just communication I've been getting from hospitals about questions about the application and just sharing with me some of the work that they've been able to do um, even despite the COVID-19 pandemic, which was really just heartening. And I can't just wait to celebrate those who apply anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That is great. What types of measurements are they reporting out to you? What types of metrics? So we use the, again, the Opioid Management Hospital Self-Assessment Tool, which is, if you're listening, you can just access on our website at calhospitalcompare.org. Just go to the Opioid Programs page. Okay. And this is a, again, a measurement tool and a quality improvement roadmap. So you'll see for each measure, you'll see um, what does it look like to be a level one versus a level four in any particular category. So the four domains of care that we're looking at, and these domains of care are kind of what we call hospital-wide. So we're looking across the spectrum. So we're not looking at any one department, and we're looking at what's going on across the hospital. And those four domains are the safe and effective use of opioids, particularly around the judicious prescribing of opioids at discharge, and the use of alternatives to opioids for pain management while that patient is still in the hospital. The second category is around treatment. So what is your hospital offering in terms of medication-assisted treatment? And how are you connecting patients to community providers for timely follow-up care? And that looks different depending on your community resources. The third category is about overdose prevention. Um, in this category, we're looking at whether and how you have a naloxone distribution program. So in the state of California, hospitals can apply through the state for free naloxone. And this naloxone can be given to anybody who walks into your hospital, patient, family, visitor, or otherwise. And I think that's fantastic. And so we have a lot of hospitals doing that. And then lastly, there's this nebulous category. The fourth category is called organizational, um, cross-cutting organizational best practices. So we're looking at organizational infrastructure. Is this opioid stewardship? Is this a strategic priority? Do you have a champion of some kind to be able to support the work? Do you, are you engaging patient and families in developing resources? And lastly, are you taking steps to actively address stigma within your organization? So those are the domains of care that we're looking at. And a lot of our questions are very process oriented at the moment. And it's designed to be that way because we've worked and, uh, and tried to determine how we might be able to start in, infusing it with what we call quantitative measures, like hard data. But the reality is the continued feedback that we've been getting from hospitals is that without a standardized measure set from CMS on down, it's been really challenging to figure out exactly what to measure and how to measure it using 
an EHR system. So we wanted this to be a low barrier way to celebrate and measure progress. And so we kept our focus on these process measures, but it might change uh, in the coming years. Everything is fluid. It is. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. Do you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, do you have, if somebody is using a lot of non-opioid type measures or has a great program in place, is there a way that you share this um, with each other? So if I'm, I'm a new hospital and I want to get involved in this, I'm a little overwhelmed. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Somebody else already has a good system or ideas or protocols. Mm -hmm. Is there sharing? There is, and that's where we leverage our, um, our webinar learning series, if you will. So we invite mostly hospitals participating in the program to present their work as part mm -hmm. of this learning webinar series. So for example, in this past year, we had UC Davis share how they've been able to structure their opioid stewardship committee and the, and the um, quality improvement initiatives that they've tackled year over year. And they've been doing this for many years, if you will. We've invited subject matter experts from California Bridge to come and talk about how they actually implemented an naloxone distribution program within their hospital. We've had hospitals come and share some of the steps that they've taken to address stigma. So we're always working to highlight what's going on in California. And this is a very California-focused program, but even if you're outside of California, I do think there's a lot of great information that's coming from just these what we call bright spots that are happening on the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. So can those outside of California attend the webinars as well? They can. Absolutely. Okay. Registration is open to anyone. Okay. Um, and if you're interested in looking at some of our prior webinars, you can certainly access those on our website. We're all about accelerating whatever we can do to tackle the opioid epidemic. And so we want to make sure that these resources are available to anyone. Really. That's fantastic. That, that's really great. Do you have any case studies or stories of how this program prompted a hospital to make changes and then some of their stories from that? Yes. So I kind of just touched on a couple of those, but I'll just expound on, on one point. So I think the greatest um, success story that we've had is around the um, the adoption of this naloxone distribution program across our California hospitals. So from 2019 to present, I think the number of hospitals who've been able to, to do that has actually just more than doubled, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about avenues by just infusing naloxone into communities. And what's fantastic is I've heard such stories as, um, let's say there was a someone who managed a construction company who went to the emergency department for something else unrelated to um, opioid misuse. They're there. Maybe they had a heart issue. And they said, oh, you have naloxone. And guess what? In this past year, several of my workers have actually um, had an overdose on the job site. So I'd love to take a couple of these so that I might be able to use them if this situation arises. Whoa, we're making this connection between um, those who maybe directly need naloxone or those who, who see the need for it out in the community and giving this resource out. So it's been really incredible to see our hospitals be able to, to implement this program and offer this free naloxone. And it's not without its hurdles, let me tell you. And so um, it's just been really wonderful to see this progress year over year. 
That is real cool. Day to day life. Plus also hearing somebody else's program as a pharmacist, I can tell you most of us are not comfortable letting things out of the hospital without being under our control. So there have found a way to feel good about (laughs) this. It's required a lot of just like, uh, how do I say just, um, I don't want to say relaxing of guidelines, but you, everyone has been been intentional. Okay. This is our goal. Our goal is to prevent an overdose uh, related deaths. And right. um, I think this is how we can do it. And you have to actually uncouple the provision yes. of naloxone. And I can see your face going, oh my but, God. But the storage yeah. and distribution is, yeah, yeah it's so, not, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we, under a physician wide standing order, certain people within the hospital can access a cabinet and just give naloxone with some level of education to, mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Then, then those out there in the community can use it, and it's taking away the. It's you know, if you're not if you're not abusing substances, you mm-hmm. still have a role to play, you know, out in the community to to have something have something with you. So oh, that's exactly. yeah, yeah. And I yeah. really think all of us should be carrying naloxone, and I think some of the reasons why we don't is it can be expensive to get over the counter, right? You don't right. have a prescription. You're like, what are you going to do? And and I think um, this is just a really fantastic avenue. And some other fun things that I've heard is just the ability to get the attention from the hospital. So sometimes it can be one or two people in some department, maybe the emergency department, trying to work on this. And now, whoo, we've got this opportunity to engage in an honor role. And it it's that way to bring people together. And so that's done things like help to prioritize maybe some EHR changes. It's helped to provide maybe some funding for some small projects within a hospital. So it's been really phenomenal to see how this has been a lever to support improvement. That's great. So if we think about drug diversion, you know, people oftentimes, and I'm talking about from a healthcare worker's perspective, oftentimes those that have a substance abuse problem may have been a patient that has come through the doors. So if hospitals have programs like yours that look for alternatives and less discharge meds, and then your primary care obviously has got to be involved in that too, then perhaps we wouldn't end up with a healthcare worker with a substance abuse problem because it would have been different. So I definitely see how those things tie together. Mm -hmm. Has your program talked about adding any type of measurements surrounding a facility's diversion prevention or monitoring program you know truthfully it hasn't really come up but uh but i love that we're having this conversation because i in some of our communities hospitals can be the largest employer right Mm -hmm. and i think that is a such a huge responsibility not only are you protecting your patients but you have this opportunity to protect your employees as well Mm -hmm. and so um while it hasn't been a focus, we've been a little bit more patient-centric in our program today, right? We're talking about how do we prevent opioid use disorder? How do we treat it? How do we offer overdose prevention resources? I can certainly see how uh, the say pres- prescription drug diversion and monitoring program could be 
something that we add. And what's really unique about our program is that we modify it year over year using the opioid management hospital self-assessment to reflect emerging best practices. So mm -hmm. I know in our, I think what we're now in our fourth wave of the opioid epidemic, we're now really looking at youth and mental health as some key components yeah. of what's driving um, addiction this could be another lever that we add to it. And I certainly will bring this to our advisory committee. And that's been a huge resource for us as we refine our program year over year. Yeah, you mentioned the mental health. That's a big piece of it. I wonder too, if it's, if you were to incorporate something, maybe there could be some measurements surrounding what do you do for your employees in terms of the mental health? I mean, what is the expectation when they're on breaks or, you know, overtimes or just, I don't know, there's so much to it. You know, how oh. many times, I can only imagine how many times somebody gets called when there's a sick call and they just have worked five days in a row, but you know, here comes the phone call for the sixth day. Cause it's, you know, so what does your hospital do with things like that? That, um, could minimize some of those stressors. Oh, I completely agree, Terry, because I think we've seen staffing shortages. I think we've seen a tremendous level of what we call burnout happening mm -hmm. as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this level of uncertainty and isolation impacts everybody. So I think whatever that we can do to protect and offer alternatives to our employees yeah. and patients, I think we can certainly consider. So I really look forward to bringing this to our, our committee and having a discussion about it. And just importantly too, is maybe just that sharing, you know, what does one facility do that is like, oh, that's a great idea. And we could do something like that with minimal cost and, and effort, but it might make a difference for our employees. So that community sharing piece of it, I think, I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right, well, this is great information. I, I can see you're very passionate about it too, and, and that's great. Um, so yeah, those of you in California that are not participating, you should consider it. And those of you outside, it sounds like there is a wealth of resources on this website, and I would encourage you to go and, and check that out and look for ideas of that other people because it's the same everywhere it's you know every facility needs to do better and look for ways that we can decrease opioid usage and make it you know better for those that do have a substance abuse problem so i would encourage all of you to go look at that thank you very much alex for your time today thank you it's my pleasure